uh, with all of that, so that is all of our announcements. Uh, I'm going to say a word of prayer for us, and then uh, and Begato is going to uh, read this morning's scripture, and then I'll lead us in our teaching and in the Lord's Supper. And so if you need to grab uh, a cracker, a piece of bread, and a, and a drink, uh, please feel free to do that. Uh, but for right now, uh, let me say a word of prayer, and then we will continue. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much uh, for, um, yeah, just this this chance to continue worshiping, Lord, to now hear from your word. God, we pray uh, for Anne as she reads from uh, the opening verses of this chapter in Acts. Lord, give her uh, clarity and just peace of mind as she, as she reads your words, God. Uh, may these words pierce us uh, in ways that, that, that human words could never. Um, and so please be with us as we, as we hear from your word. And God, um, be with me as I, as I teach from this and as, as, we, as we commune together, as we meet together at the Lord's table. Lord, we pray for all of these things. Uh, ultimately, God, that, that you would be glorified in every step of this, uh, and that we would be able to step back, get out of the way, and let you be at the center, God. Let you be at the foundation of all of this. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. And Acts 14, 1 through 18. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Laconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country, where they continued to preach the gospel. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Laconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. The word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Anne. Let me get my, all right. 
Uh, thank you, <clears throat> Anne, for reading that. And thank you all. It's good to see you. Um, and uh, just again, thank you for your prayers and support uh, over the last few days. Uh, it's meant a lot. And I have definitely felt sustained. And I know my family really appreciates knowing that there are many people far, far away praying for them. Um, as we open our services with a land acknowledgement for Hell's Kitchen, uh, I do also want to recognize and honor the land that I am on um, uh, in Northeast Kansas. And it, uh, the, the communities are, uh, who steward this land are the Kickapoo and the Kaw and the Osage. And so I hope my time here has been and continues to be one of respect for these uh, communities of this land. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, and right here this morning, we have been traveling with Paul and Barnabas on their, uh, on their missionary journey. They're going all over the place. And last week, we found them in Antioch in the region of Pisidia. And there they preached at a local synagogue two weeks in a row. And by the end of their second week, they had amassed huge crowds of people who wanted to hear what they had to say. We're told near the end of chapter 13 that the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. And while this was good news to many, uh, we also know that it upset many as well. And Paul and Barnabas were run out of town. And as they were expelled from the region, they, they shook the dust off their feet, we're told, and they headed to their next city, Iconium, which is known today as the city of, of Konya in, in Turkey. Uh, and our passage today opens with them in Iconium. And as Luke, the author of Acts says, they went as usual, into the Jewish synagogue. This is part of their journeys. This is just what they do. They go wherever they're at, they go to the local synagogue. So if you remember, it's, it's a pretty common thing uh, back in the first century for traveling preachers or disciples, leaders to, to visit a local synagogue, and also very common then for that synagogue to invite them to speak. That's what happened last week. Paul and Barnabas were invited to share a word of encouragement, and we see that happens in this morning's passage, too. We're told that Paul and Barnabas spoke so effectively that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Uh, but what shouldn't be surprising to us by now is that in this growth, this increase in the number of people believing in the good news that Paul and Barnabas were preaching, it wasn't met with universal joy and universal acceptance. The Jews who uh, refused to believe, they started stirring up trouble. And in response to that, Paul and Barnabas kept speaking boldly. And in fact, their courage and their faith was met by the Holy Spirit, who enabled them to do some amazing signs and wonders, we're told in verse 3. Not specifically what they did there, but that they were equipped to do some amazing things. And then all of this led to what was essentially a plot to assassinate Paul and Barnabas. And they heard about this, and they fled. We're told they fled to two cities and the surrounding country where they continued to preach. Now, typically, we put our focus on Paul and Barnabas here, and we commend them for their courage, for their trust in what God is doing, for, for their trust in the very good news that they are proclaiming, right? We see this trust met by confirmation from the Spirit. We see this trust met with the sparing of their lives. And ultimately, we see this trust met with more and more people believing in this good news of Jesus Christ. But this morning, I want us to put ourselves in the shoes and in the experience of the Jews who are so angry with Paul and Barnabas that they stir up trouble, trouble to the point of wanting to kill them. There is some serious anger and frustration being felt here. And I'm not justifying a plot to kill anyone or anything like that, so hear me loud and clear. But I think if we are honest, we can find ourselves in their shoes 
sometimes more easily than the shoes of Paul and Barnabas. These Jews, like most Jews who are not uh, from or living in Jerusalem in the first century, they, they've experienced a scattering. Uh, they are living in diaspora. Iconium is about 800 miles away from Jerusalem. And so there's no doubt that the Jews here, that they have felt this scattering, but also that they've kind of established themselves in Iconium, even though they've been displaced, even though they're living amongst Greeks and Gentiles, they're in Iconium being faithful. And now they face these disciples who are causing quite the commotion. It might be tempting to look at these Jews who get angry as, as enemies or as people who just totally miss the gospel, who miss the good news. But we really have to pause and recognize that, that they are experiencing anxiety, that they have experienced and that they are experiencing a loss of identity, of geographical location. They're, they're experiencing confusion. Um, my, my guide... Willie James Jennings, come on, everybody knew that was coming, uh, professor from Yale, uh, he, he recognizes this reality. And he says that, that much is being threatened by Paul and Barnabas. And the only answer to this threat is extreme, by any means necessary. And what does by any means necessary look like? Well, here it looks like lying, it looks like deception, it looks like manipulation, it looks like violence. And again, there's no justification for these things. I'm not trying to um, justify these things, but we simply can't blow past these experiences that have been recorded in God's word. We have to unpack the full story that we are given. And so we don't give these individuals a pass, but we also can pause and recognize the significant fear and confusion that they were facing. And if you can, consider yourself in this story. Consider yourself as someone who has experienced extreme displacement, maybe, extreme scattering, sorrow, confusion, a loss of identity. And then people come into your world and you feel even more threatened. It wouldn't be that far-fetched to think that you might do whatever you can to protect yourself and to protect your community, to do what you think is best for those around you. And how easy would it be, if we're totally honest with ourselves, to allow that to just consume us? That's what we see here. We see fear and resistance to the Holy Spirit to the point of the Jews in Iconium seeking to cause violence to Paul and Barnabas, seeking to stone them. But as we recognize what the displaced Jews are experiencing in Iconium, we also then have to confront and unpack the experience and what Paul and Barnabas face that they are facing now violence and threats, continued violence and continued threats. This is nothing new to the disciples of Christ, and it will continue to be part of their journey. It's a reality that, that we have to voice, I think, and that we can't turn away from, that if you are proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, prepare yourself to be hated. Prepare yourself to be threatened. Here, it is literally a threat to the life of Paul and Barnabas. But whether it's an assassination plot or something else, there is danger in proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, of God incarnate who came to this earth, who ministered on this earth, who was wrongly accused and executed, who rose from the dead and who ascended into heaven, all out of a divine earth-changing love for his people. There is danger in proclaiming that good news and following the work of the Holy Spirit. Remember, as we've said over the last couple of weeks, the Spirit doesn't move us into comfortable situations. 
the spirit more often than not leads us into conflict, into discomfort, into danger. We saw that last week in Pisidia, and we see that right here in Iconium. And in this conflict, we still see the spirit moving, even to the point of protecting Paul and Barnabas. They're made aware of the plot to kill them. They hear about it, and they're able to flee. Their lives, in this moment at least, in this city, are spared. Uh, and as I've thought about this, I also consider the spirit protecting, sparing the Jews in Iconium too. That in their anger and in their desire to kill Paul and Barnabas, the opportunity is stripped away from them. And they're left in their community, a community of some who are angered by what Paul and Barnabas said, but also a community of some whose lives have been completely changed by what Paul and Barnabas said. And so the spirit in its own unique, divine, supernatural way, not only spares Paul and Barnabas, but has saved this community. And so though we move on from Iconium in this passage, it remained an active city with an active community, and we can and should expect that the Spirit continues to work in the lives of the Jews, the Greeks, the Gentiles, the synagogue, all over Iconium. Though our words move on, the Spirit is still working there as well. And so as Paul and Barnabas flee, they flee to another city. Their journey takes them now to, to Lystra, about 20 miles away from Iconium. And here we see an incredible sign and wonder, now a specific sign and wonder uh, performed by Paul, where he instructs a man who is lame since birth, who has never walked in his entire life, where Paul tells him to stand up, and the man stands up and walks. And while this is clearly supernatural and incredible, it's a very tangible sign of the power of the Spirit. What it is also... Uh, what, what's also so, so incredible, I think, is how the Spirit moves in this experience, how the Spirit moves through Paul in this sign and in this wonder. Paul doesn't just snap his fingers and say, stand up, which he could have probably if he was enabled by the Holy Spirit to do that. But Paul looked at this man directly, we're told. We're told he looked at him directly and that he continued to speak. He didn't stop teaching. He looked at this man. He dignified this man. He made this man feel known. And he continued to teach to him. And it was through this that he then told him to stand up. Paul sees this man. And this man sees Paul. Jennings says, this is a kind of peak poetic Jennings. He says, together Paul and this man are flowing in the currents of divine presence. Paul and this man are flowing in the currents of divine presence. They're not simply experiencing this alone. It's not just the two of them, but they are together in the presence of God, in the presence of the power of the Spirit. And as we see, they're in the presence of many, many other people in Lystra too. Verse 11, the crowd saw that what Paul did, and they believed Paul and Barnabas to be gods, Zeus and Hermes. It's a mistake, <laughs> like, those, uh, like those Jews who resisted the Spirit in Iconium, here, the Lyconians uh, in Iconium, here, the Lyconians are resisting the spirit, believing these two men to be their Greek gods, and they bring them bowls and wreaths and, and wanted to make sacrifices to them, we're told in verse 13. But rather than fleeing this time, Paul and Barnabas stay exactly where they are. And they do all they can to ensure that their human flesh is separated from any declaration that they might be divine. And so Paul and Barnabas, they do this. They literally bear their flesh. We're told they tear their clothes. They show their humanness to the Lyconians. And they wasted no time. We're told they rushed into the crowd in verse 14. 
and they shout, why are you doing this? We're human just like you. They say, we are like you. We're not special. We're not divine. We are not gods. Paul just told a lame man to stand up and walk, and he did. And Paul is shouting at these people, I am not special. But this is the spirit doing this thing. We're like you. We're simply bringing good news, though. The good news of the living God, as Paul says, the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Verse 15. This community in Lystra, they, they sense something special is happening. They're kind of on the precipice of, of getting it. They sense something divine is happening, but many of them still don't quite get it. We see that in the closing verse that the crowd kept sacrificing to Paul and Barnabas, and that's how the passage ends. And that's the beauty of doing a year-long sermon series in Acts, that I don't have to wrap that up, and we're going to wrap that up next week. We're going to move on next week. We see so much happen here in these 18 verses, and we see these things happen in two different locations, right? We see, we see different reactions in both locations. We see anger and fear and disappointment, and we also see excitement and exuberance. But in both, we see these reactions reach extremes, a plot to kill or sacrificing to other gods. But in all of this, we see the Spirit moving, and we see Paul and Barnabas following the Spirit, at times fleeing for their lives, but at other times rushing into the crowd and shouting, but all the time following the Spirit. And so my encouragement to you in this passage is to consider the courage and the perseverance of God's people. The courage to flee, to make that decision to step back, to move on when the Spirit guides you to do that but also the courage to run into the crowd, to run into the conflict when the Spirit guides you to do that. And the endurance and all of that, the perseverance to constantly strive to rely on the Spirit. I think Paul and Barnabas, I think in many passages, in many ways, and, and here this morning, they embody courage and perseverance. We've seen it for weeks now. We see it right here. What, what we see is that they aren't doing this alone, right? They are doing this together. And they are likely, there's other disciples with them, a growing community around them. And they are constantly working to, to keep their own celebrity down, right? They're not seeking to build their own name. It is clearer and clearer that they are not doing this for themselves, to build themselves up. But they are on, a, on this journey because they want to share the good news of the living God, of the resurrected and ascended Jesus Christ, and nothing else. They could have been martyred in Iconium and gone down as incredible martyrs. They could have said, you know what, we are pretty special in Lystra. I did just make that lame man stand up and walk. But they didn't. They constantly refocused themselves and the crowds to the living God. Now, we may not face the same excitement that Paul and Barnabas faced in these two cities in this passage, but we will, we have, we do, no doubt, face conflict, face fear, face disappointment, face discomfort. And when we do, let me just say this, let's do it together. Courage, perseverance, let's do this together. We cannot do this alone. Though Paul gets so much of the spotlight in Acts, it's clear that as he's journeying, as he's following and trusting the Spirit, he is doing it with Barnabas. And there's going to be some conflict down the road with Paul and Barnabas, but uh, right now he is with Barnabas and he is in community as he does this. His life transformation, even Paul, it has never been by himself. 
He was prayed for by Ananias and the scales dropped from his eyes. He lived with the disciples of Christ and learned from them. Barnabas sought him out and brought him to the church in Antioch, and now they've been journeying together. Friends, no matter where you find yourself in these verses, maybe today you, you feel like you fill the shoes of the angry, fearful, disappointed Jews in Iconium. Maybe tomorrow you might feel like you fill the shoes of the excited and exuberant Lyconians overlooking the work of the Spirit for your own chance to be closer and closer to divine power. Maybe you, you feel the courage, the perseverance, the endurance of being filled with faith, being filled with the Spirit. No matter where you find yourself in these verses, hear this. Don't find yourself in these verses alone. Find yourself in these verses with the Spirit. Find yourself in these verses with community. And so this week, I want to encourage you to do three things. Three simple things that I think will begin to draw us closer to the Spirit. I know a lot of what I've said might sound nice, but when you talk about the practicality of things, it begins to feel really nebulous, right? It's great to say, trust the Spirit, rely on the Spirit, but how do I do that? How do I work on that? How, how do we do that together? And so three things this week. First, uh, they're all very simple. So manage expectations. First, pray more this week than you did last week. We're all different in this. So I'm not going to prescribe the one way to do this, but instead pray more this week than you did last week. We see these rhythms re uh, be really important in the life of the disciples. We've talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Pray more this week than you did last week. If, you, if you'd like a clear way to do this, I'd invite you to join our prayer call at 8.30 a.m. on Zoom, Monday through Saturday. It's 15 minutes. You won't be alone. You'll be praying together. Pray more this week than you did last week. Second, read scripture more this week than you did last week. Again, we're all different on this journey, so there's no one way. But read a little more scripture. Spend a little more time in God's word this week than you did last week. If you'd like a little guidance, follow Hopel's Kitchen on Instagram. We post daily Bible reading uh, on our Instagram stories, and you can jump in whenever you'd like. Read more scripture this week than you did last week. And third, and this might be a little tougher for some of you. It might be super easy for some of you, but consider who in your life, maybe it's just one person, but consider who in your life you might entrust to join you as a partner in following and entrusting the spirit in praying more, in reading scripture more. Who is your Paul? Who is your Barnabas? Who will, who will flee with you and who will rush into the crowd with you? Who will pray with you? Who will spend time in God's word with you? Pray about this. And if you're feeling convicted by the Spirit, talk to this person this week or next week, whenever. Pray more this week than you did last week. Read more scripture this week than you did last week. And consider who in your life you can join and who can join you in following the Spirit in this journey, wherever God might take you. And right now, as we do each week, I think we answer this question, how do we pursue the Spirit by coming together? How do we do this? We do this at the Lord's table. Near the end of his book, uh, Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls the day of the Lord's Supper an occasion of joy for the Christian community. He also calls the Lord's Supper the superlative fulfillment of Christian fellowship. In all of his words and writing about communion, about the Lord's Supper, it is always in relation to community, to brothers and sisters partaking in communion together journeying through this life together. Following the Spirit 
together. And so as we come to this table each week, we come to this table recognizing the many different emotions felt on this journey of faith, the many different emotions on display in this morning's passage. We recognize that we are all at different places on this journey, and yet at this very moment, we are together. Our journeys bring us to the Lord's table. It is the superlative fulfillment of Christian fellowship. As Paul says in verse 15, the living God made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And here at the table, we are invited to meet this God, to commune with this God, with this Jesus Christ who this table is built upon. And we do this not by ourselves, not individually, but together. But as we come to the table, we do come first with a moment of silence where we do spend time individually offering our prayers, our repentance, our questions, our struggles, where we offer all of these things to God, where we prepare ourselves for this occasion of joy. But then out of this silence, out of this moment of pausing, we are united together when we come together in communion at this table. And so however you want to do this, there is no formula. Uh, for the next moment of silence, um, offer up a prayer, questions, thoughts, sit with God as you prepare to come back to the Lord's table together.